Well, good morning. If we have not uh, met yet, my name is Randy Binkley, and uh, I'm a part of the uh, LCF teaching team, so I'm one of the pinch hitters when Tim's out. <clears throat> a few years back, Time Magazine decided they would do a data-driven ranking of the 100 most significant figures in human history. So they did a computational data-centric analysis using ranking algorithms looking for to statistical evidence of people whose presence and impact had touched world history. This was not a faith-based effort. It was just an objective look at human history and asking the question, who has really impacted human history? And that list of 100 people came up with a lot of names that you would recognize. But guess who ranked number one in that study? The person of Jesus Christ. Now consider for a moment the irony of that. There was nothing about his circumstances that would have indicated that his life would have had that kind of impact on world history. He was born into a poor family. He grew up in a small, remote, out-of-the-way town. He lived in obscurity for 30 years, making a, a living as a tradesman, a carpenter. He never traveled more than a few hundred miles from where he was born. He never went to college. He was never voted into office. He never had any prestigious worldly titles or positions that would look good on a resume. He didn't have thousands of Facebook or Instagram followers. He wasn't TikTok famous. He had no podcast. He was just this homeless preacher guy. Traveled around for a couple years sharing his story, and then he was arrested and died as a common criminal at 33. And yet, 2,000 years later, he stands alone in world history as the most influential person in history. He is the reason that we are here today. He is the reason I'm standing before you today. He's probably the reason you're sitting there this morning. And I think in the heart of every true believer... God places a desire to be someone who, who kind of follows Jesus in terms of making a difference in the world. We don't want to just take up space. We want to live a life that's meaningful. We see a world around us that is in confusion and chaos, and there is within us a desire to make a difference, a positive difference. But how do you do that? Jesus' life and ministry, as I mentioned, changed the world. And in the passage we're looking at this morning, we see Jesus doing just that. He's changing the world. So let's take a look at this and see how Jesus went about changing the world. Let's look to see what he teaches us from this text about how we can join him in living lives that make a difference. So I'm going to invite you to take your Bible and turn to Luke chapter 19. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10 this morning. And this morning, our guest readers are going to be two of LPS's finest second graders, Eleanor and Palmer. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man by the name Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not 
see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possession to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man to his a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. All right, let's unpack this text a little. Verse 1, Jesus enters Jericho and was passing through. If you've been with us in the study, you know that in chapters 9 through 19, Jesus has been on a one-way journey to a destination called Jerusalem. Arriving in Jerusalem is going to be a big deal. The days in Jerusalem are going to be very important days. So as we pick up the story this morning, Jesus is on a travel day. He is in transit. He's passing through this little town called Jericho. It'd be kind of like if you had a big family reunion starting next Sunday at Rocky Mountain National Park. And so Saturday you hop in your car and you start to drive there. About halfway through the day, you stop to fill up with gas in Hayes, Kansas at a sketchy 7-Eleven. Well, that's where we are in the text. We're at a sketchy 7-Eleven in Hayes, Kansas. Um, This isn't destination day. This isn't Jerusalem. Not even close. This is a travel day. This is an along-the-way kind of day. And I don't know about you, but for me, I'm a mostly type A personality, so I find myself motivated by things like goals and destinations. I find it helpful for me to identify those and then to be somewhat intentional about trying to get there. And I understand not everybody's wired that way, but that's the way I am. So I've had to learn to cultivate the value of seeing God at work, both in the destination days and in the passing through days, the travel days, the along-the-way days. How about you? You know, I think it's easy for us to think of God being a part of our big destination days. You know, we, we think, boy, when I, when I get finished with school, boy, that'll be a day. When I finally get this thing done. When I, when I get my first real job, that's, that's going to be a day. God will be there and guide me. When I, and then maybe you get a job and then you start thinking, well, when I get that new position, when when I get a better job, or when, when I land my dream job, boy, that'll be a day, or when I get married, or when we have children, or when the children finally leave the home and start paying for their own cell phones and car insurance, that'll be a day. Um, and then you think, well, when the kids get married, or when we get grandkids, boy, that'll, that'll be a big day, or, or when we retire. And, you know, the list could go on and on. We, like, we often see God in our big destination days, but... The point of these 10 verses is that, you know, God seems to here do an amazing thing on a boring, mundane, just passing through day, not a destination day. 
And I find I need to remember, and maybe we need to remember, that our God can do surprising, miraculous things, not only on big destination days, but also on those seemingly normal, mundane, passing through days, like Tuesdays at work or Thursdays. Verse 2, And there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. So now we're introduced to a new player in the story, a man named Zacchaeus. What do we know about him? Well, vocationally, he was a tax collector. So you might think, oh, okay, so he was like somebody who would like work for the IRS. You know, that would be a functional equivalent. Well, actually, that's not a very good uh, equivalent in this one. Remember that, you know, this is a military, hostile Roman occupation of their country. So Rome would find people who were in that country, in this particular country, of course, he would, they would find Jews, who knew everybody, who knew who had money, and knew where it was at, and then they would hire them as tax collectors. So in this particular context, tax collectors were not just guys with a job. These were traitors. These were collaborators with the enemy. But it says that he wasn't just a tax collector. He was a chief tax collector. So now we've got one of the lead traders in a group of traders. But they were even worse than that because they were more than traders. They were criminals. They would collect more than the Romans demanded, and they'd get rich off pocketing the difference. You knew they were robbing you. You couldn't do anything about it, though. See, if you didn't pay what he demanded, the tax collector gives your name to the Romans, and they can shorten your lifespan or that of one of your family members. So you're being robbed, but you have to go along with it. can't do anything about it. Every society has its people groups in it. And in this particular society, tax collectors were the worst of the worst group. You couldn't get any lower than this. There's a Pharisee in chapter 18, and he's praying, and he's kind of comparing himself to others and praying, thank you, Lord, I'm not like these. And he goes, thank you that I'm not like robbers or evildoers or adulterers. And he's just trying to think, what's even worse than all of that? And he ends up with, oh, tax collectors. Lord, thank you, I'm not like a tax collector. Well, he stops at that point because you can't get any lower. You have now reached the bottom of the barrel. That's the worst of the worst. They were scorned. They were despised. They were hated. You know, this was the guy who had traded his sense of community, honesty, and integrity to get rich. So verse 3. And Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was, and he was unable due to the crowd because he was short in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up in a sycamore tree in order to see him because he was about to pass through that way. Now from verse 3, we learned that Zacchaeus was not on the high school basketball team tried, but he didn't make the cut. But for some reason, he wanted to see this teacher named Jesus. Now, if Zacchaeus had been a respected member of the community, I'm sure that when he uh, walked up to that parade route, you know, they would have just let him on through up to the front because he was shorter and there was people behind him could be taller. But he was not a respected member of the community. Nobody's going to cut him a break or let him through. He needed a plan B. So he needed a higher vantage point. So he found a tree, and he climbed up in that tree. Now, consider the situation here for a moment. These kind of people, tax collectors, don't normally want to see a teacher like Jesus. 
I mean, why would you go to a place where you would most certainly receive condemnation and rejection in a public way? How many people like to go and be publicly condemned and humiliated? Not many of us. He wants to go and he wants to be a part of this, but, you know, as he goes, he would get the cold death stares from the crowd to remind him of just how hated and despised he was. Why, why would he go get more of this, more condemnation, more judgment, more shame from a moral teacher like Jesus? And the point of the story, it, it really doesn't answer that burning question of, of what are you doing there, Zacchaeus? What, what on earth motivated you to want to go see this Jesus? The Bible doesn't really say. I have a guess. I think Zacchaeus had made his deal with the devil years before. I'll betray my people, I'll sacrifice my personal honesty and integrity, and I'll do all that if, if I can just make a lot of money. I'll do that if I can get rich. So Zacchaeus had lived that life, and he had been ruthless and manipulative enough to become one of the best at being the worst. And it worked. He got his money. He got a lot of it. But now, much to his surprise, that money wasn't enough. I think it had never occurred to him that this would happen. He thought, well, it'll be enough. Once I get that pile of money, that'll be it. But now he had the pile of money, and it wasn't enough. It wasn't working. I think he saw Jericho craftsmen working hard and enjoying the provision that came from their work and honest day's wages for an honest day's work. He saw their personal satisfaction and fulfillment that those people would get out of a job well done, out of the way their work helped improve the community. And he could only imagine what something like that must have felt like. I mean, the only thing he felt after a hard day's work, if he felt anything anymore, which he tried not to, was probably a gnawing sense of shame that he probably tried to erase by getting drunk or some other distractive excess. He'd see community leaders who were admired and respected. They were good leaders in their homes and in the community. And Zacchaeus must have wondered, I wonder what that would feel like to be respected and appreciated instead of despised as a traitor. Something was going on in Zacchaeus' heart that drew him to want to see Jesus. And although no one could see it on the outside, Jesus was working on Zacchaeus' heart, drawing him to Jesus. So this rich businessman humbles and humiliates himself to the point of climbing a tree like some foolish junior high kid in what seems to be a hopeless attempt to just get a glimpse at Jesus who was walking by. I'm sure the crowd saw him. They probably rolled their eyes and maybe said something like, get out of here. You don't belong here. Zacchaeus, Jesus doesn't want to see people like you. But undeterred by the cold stares of hatred and the cold words of condemnation, Zacchaeus climbs the tree. Verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and he came down and received him joyfully. Have you noticed how common it is for us to see others in, not so much as individuals, but in terms of people groups? 
You know, as you grow up, you meet people and you're processing life and to help make sense of the world, you kind of have this tendency we all do to develop people groups. And then we just put those people in the right group. It kind of helps us relationally organize our world, doesn't it? Last week was spring break. It was, had some kind of nice days, so Sharon and I broke out the RV and took it up to Smithville, and we were camping up there, and they have a nice path that goes around their lake. It's about a five, six feet wide uh, asphalt path, and it's real common to have bikers and walkers and runners on that path. And So we were out there, and we were doing a bike ride. I was in front. Sharon was probably about 20, 30 yards behind me, we probably going about 15, 16 miles an hour. And as I rounded a, a turn there, I saw that up in front of me were some dog walkers. Looked like about two or three uh, adults and, and uh, a little white dog. Now, that gets my attention if you're a biker because this is only about a five-foot-wide path. And, and for this to work right, you know, we both have to stay to the right. Okay, We do that, and this, this works. Other things don't work. So the dog's a variable, okay? So I'm looking for the dog. I'm seeing the dogs on the leash. This is good. This is better than the dog not being on the leash, okay? Uh, but now then sometimes, sometimes people get in conversations and they don't like notice what's going on around them. So you're hoping they see you coming and make some adjustments because at this particular point, the people are on the right side of the trail, but the dog's on the far left and the leash is in between. I got no good path here, okay? Um, I'm, I'm hoping they'll recognize me, maybe pull the dog over to their side. Oh, good, they do. Uh, the, the lady seems to be connected to the dog's leash, so she, she notices me. She pulls the dog over. I thought, okay, this is good. I think I got a lane. I think we're good. And she even uh, reaches down. It's a little dog, you know, one of those pocket-sized dogs. And so she, she picks the thing up to carry it and go, even better. All right, so now they're on their side. I'm on my side. Boom, I just swing by the, uh, the dog walker people. I get about 20 yards down the road, and, and I hear Sharon yelling for me to stop. So I figure, well, something's going wrong. So I throw in the brake, stop, turn around, look back. She's, she's talking to the dog walkers. I thought, well, that's odd. So, so I turn around and, and go back, and um, it's, uh, it's Fred and Kathy Ellemeyer, our good friends. <laughs> I, I didn't see that. Did I see them? Yes, I saw them. I saw them. I assigned them to the right group. They're dog walker groups. And then uh, we did what we do with dog walkers. You stay on your side, I stay on my side, life's good. Boom. I saw them but didn't really see them. Sharon saw them and saw them. So I come back. We have a nice little talk, catch up on what's going on in life. It's easy to put people in people groups sometimes and then not to see them but just to ride right by. There's so many people groups these days we can do this with. You can, you can get put in a people group based on your race. I'm white, I'm African-American, I'm Hispanic, I'm Latino, I'm American Indian. You can be put in a people group based on what country you're a part of. I'm an American, I'm a Canadian, I'm a Mexican, I'm French. You can be put in a people group based on when you were born. You're part of the greatest generation, the silent generation. You're a baby boomer. You're Gen X. You're a millennial. You're a Gen Z. You're Generation Alpha. You can be grouped by your income, your lower class, your middle class, your upper class. You're a one percenter. By your political thoughts, you're a Republican, you're a Democrat, you're an Independent, you're a Libertarian, you're a Green Party, you're a Conservative, you're a Liberal. 
You can be grouped by your personality traits. You're an extrovert. You're an introvert. You're a thinker. You're a feeler. You're a sensor. You're an intuitor. By your age group, you're a child. You're a youth. You're an adult. You're a senior. And we just naturally, seemingly, just dump people in these groups. But it seems like people, Jesus didn't do that. As you look through the Gospels and you see him interacting with people, we see Jesus seemingly responding to everybody as individuals, not group members. He sees people as individuals created in the image of God. Now, the Pharisees and the crowd only saw Zach. And when they saw Zach, they put him in the tax collector's group. And they rode right by. We have no time for people in that group. But Jesus saw Zacchaeus, a man made in the image of God, a man hoping Jesus could heal his broken soul. And that got Jesus' attention. So Jesus says, cancel the parade, put the trip on pause. Zacchaeus, I'm going to come over and have dinner with you tonight. And it says, Zacchaeus received him joyfully. Notice that Jesus didn't give Zacchaeus what he deserved, which would have been condemnation, but rather he gave him what he needed, which was grace. And when we give people what they need instead of what they deserve, it can have surprising results. Verse 7. And when the people saw this, they all began to complain, saying, He's gone to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. But Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I'm giving to the poor, and if I've extorted anything from anyone, I'm giving back four times as much. So the crowd sees what he does, and they begin to complain. How many of them? Well, the text says all. Way to go, Jesus. You just lost the whole crowd. 99% now are muttering. Why were they complaining? I'm going to guess one of two reasons. Either they're thinking, Jesus, you don't know who you're dining with. You're uninformed. You're misguided. Or they're thinking, secondly, maybe you're endorsing this man's evil behavior. But the complainers would be wrong on both counts. Jesus did know his past. And Jesus also knew that Zacchaeus could become a new person in Christ through faith. And Jesus' meeting with Zacchaeus was not an endorsement of his evil behavior. It was an invitation to a changed life. True faith that saves is a faith that shows itself in the actions of a repentant heart. And Zacchaeus seemingly understood this. Zacchaeus accepted both Jesus' dinner invitation and his salvation invitation, and it was evidenced by his words and his actions of repentance. Zacchaeus' greedy heart was changed to a generous heart. He said, I'm going to give half of my wealth to the poor. Now, those were strange new words coming from a man who has built his life up until this day on the pursuit of more, more, more. And up to, up to now, no matter how much he had, it just was never enough. But now as a child of God, for the first time in his life, he realizes he has Christ and he has enough. John Piper is quoted in that Lent devotional we're going, we're going through saying this, We will only be truly content with what we have when we know that we have him. Zacchaeus' stingy heart was released from this prison of greed, and he was experiencing 
something new, the joy of a generous heart. He says, where I've stolen from others, I'm going to make restitution, not even an equal amount, but four times over. So Zacchaeus brought both the words and the actions of repentance, knowing, as the psalmist said, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Verse 9, Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So Jesus here has dinner with the most notorious, hardened, hopeless guy in the crowd. And by the time the meal is over, he is a child of God, a son of Abraham. This account should remind us that when it comes to people and God's work, we should really never use the word hopeless. See, there's no human heart that's beyond the reach of God's grace and hope. We need to remember that when we think about others. We need to remember that when we think about ourselves. 99% of the crowd here is criticizing Jesus for his dinner plans, but Jesus uses this as an opportunity to enlighten them. He challenges them to look beyond their personal agendas for that day and remember why he had come. And he said, guys, this is why I'm here. I came to seek and to save the lost. Now, how does a story like this apply to us today? Well, I'm going to share a couple applications in two groups of people. So first of all, figure out which group you're in, okay? <clears throat> group one, I'm going to start with some applications for those of us who, can, who are children of God, who have been saved by Jesus. And then I'm going to have some applications for those of you who maybe are in a spot where you would feel like you're, you're more like Zacchaeus while sitting in the tree. You know, you're, you're not there yet. You haven't crossed that line. You, you're thinking about it. You're curious. You're checking it out. But you haven't really crossed that line yet. You're curious. But let's start with some applications for the children of God. Number one, pray daily that God would help you to see the one. Like I mentioned, it's just so easy to see, define, and value others as group members. But Jesus saw people as individuals. If I stood up here this morning with my camera and threw a wide-angle lens on, took a shot, all I would see is a crowd. But if I put my telephoto lens on, I can see one person. And I really think that's the lens God wants us to walk through life with, the telephoto that sees individuals. I'd like to challenge you this week, turn off your group's filter and just encounter everybody you come across as a person made in the image of God. You see, the problem with the whole groups thing is when we dump people into groups, we immediately tend to conclude they are different than we are, which often leads to criticism and judgment, and we can ride right by them and not even see them. But when we see people as individuals, we tend to notice how similar we are to them, and it makes us more empathetic, empathetic and compassionate so my challenge this week is to see everyone you cross paths with as an individual whom God loves and desires to restore. Maybe you might want to pray daily, Jesus, give me your eyes for the one. Help me see people the way you see people. Second application. If you're a child of God and the Heavenly Father is your father, then retire the word hopeless from your vocabulary. With God, there is no hopeless situation. There is no hopeless person. Jesus leaned into loving others 
people that others had really given up on. He tended to walk towards people others instinctively were walking away from. And following Jesus will mean that we can do that also. Now, truly loving others will put you in some sketchy places at times, and you may well be criticized by those around you. But following Jesus means we can do that. We can do hard things. I'm not saying you should go looking for trouble here, but I am saying that following Jesus will occasionally involve some risk. It's going to definitely involve times that get us outside of our comfort zones. But in those moments, we should remember that the goal of life is not to be comfortable. It's to be like Christ. And when those opportunities and times do come our way, we can remember that we can trust God to protect us and to guide us in those situations. A third application for believers, spend time with the Father and you'll know what to say and to do. Have you noticed in the Gospels, Jesus has all these encounters with different people and he seems to like always know exactly what to say and do? Have you noticed that? You don't, we don't feel that way, do we? we? We have encounters and then we walk away and then later on we go, ah, you know what I should have said? You know, I'd like a do-over. Can I, can I use my mulligan? I, I got it now. Um, can we go back? I'd like to, you know, that's kind of how we do it. But Jesus was, he was in the moment. He was seeing people. And he always knew that right thing to do, that right thing to say that made that moment a life-changing moment. How did he know how to do that? Well, I think the answer is because he spent time with the Father before that day began. He listened to the Father. Mark chapter 1, Jesus had a busy day of uh, ministry and healing people, and, and he pulls away, and in verse 35 of Mark 1, it says, Early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place, and he prayed there for a time. Simon and his companions are eagerly searched for him, and when they found him, they said to him, Everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, Yeah, let's go somewhere else to the towns nearby, so that I may preach there, for that is why I came. Do you see what's happening here? Big ministry day. Everybody, we got them lined up out the door, Jesus. You know, why did you sneak off? Get back here. We got a lot of ministry to do. And Jesus says, yeah, I, I, I think we're going to go over there. Different expectations. But he knew what he was here for. He knew what he was supposed to do. Because he had talked to the Father. In John 14, 24, the disciples are marveling at Jesus' words, and he just kind of says to them, Guys, these words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. See, it's, it's through cultivating our times of listening to the Father that we find ourselves equipped to know what to do and say in these moments of life. Kyle Eidelman, in his book, One at a Time, or in his series, right now media series, One at a Time, tells the story of Mother Teresa, who spent most of her life ministering to the poor and the suffering in the slums of Calcutta. At this particular juncture, she was in Australia, came across an elderly Aborigine man who was living in just complete poverty and squalor. And Mother Teresa said she, she felt led to offer to, to clean his house and to, to wash his clothes and to make his bed. Well, that sounded crazy to him, and he said, no, I don't think so. But she really felt like this is what she was supposed to do. So she kind of insisted, and finally he went along. Okay, if you want to, go for it. And as she was cleaning the house, she came across an old lamp that was covered in dust, and she asked the man, do you ever light your lamp? Do 
you ever use this? And he said, no, there's no reason to. No one ever comes to see me. Who would I light it for? And she told him, well, if you'll light your lamp in the evenings, that she would make sure that someone would come by and visit with him. I'm not sure he entirely believed her, but he went along with it. Okay. And then every day Mother Teresa would have one of the local nuns stop by and visit with him in the evening. Two years later, Mother Teresa had completely forgotten that encounter, but she was reminded of it when he sent a letter to her, and he just said, I just want to let you know, the light that you lit in my life continues to still shine. I mean, it was, it was just a moment, but it became one of those transformational moments. And spirit-guided, life-changing encounters with others you know, they're not always miraculous healings. They're not always earthquake-rattling prison breaks. Sometimes they're just as simple as inviting someone over for dinner like Jesus did, or maybe offering to clean someone's house for him. I mean, those are simple things. Those are things that you and I could do, aren't they? Simple things, but things that could have a big impact in that moment. Now, seeing someone and knowing what to do or say is not obvious. It's not something that just jumps out. It's, it's a spiritually acquired opportunity. It requires time listening to the Father. It requires sensitivity to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. A journalist was interviewing Mother Teresa because they were going to write an article on how to become a person of influence. So they were looking, you know, for best practices, life hacks for becoming a person of influence. And they asked her, so tell us, how do you start your day? And she said, well, we pray. And he said, uh, okay, fine. Uh, when? And she said, 4.30. He probably went, oh, okay, that's a little early. But uh, all right, well, what do you do when you finish praying? What do you do next? And her answer was, well, actually, we try to keep praying, and uh, we pray that everything we do during the day would be with Jesus and for Jesus and to Jesus. And at this point, you could tell the interview is getting uh, a little irritated. I mean, she's looking for the secrets, <coughs> the habits of highly effective people. So the interviewer got a little more direct, and he said, all right, how about this? Uh, what are the special leadership qualities you have that have allowed you to, to make such a difference? Here's how she responded to that question. She said, I don't claim anything of the work. It's his work. I'm like a little pencil in his hand. That's all. He does the thinking. He does the writing. The pencil has nothing to do with it. The, the pencil is just available to be used. And I think we want to be influential. We want to live lives of impact and purpose and significance, but sometimes we're just looking for quick online life hacks, some shortcut instead of the hard work of planting and cultivating a life of walking with God, of meeting with the Father, of allowing God to work in us first and through us second. But it's good to remember there's no life hack to connecting with God and loving people the way Jesus did. There's no shortcut to seeking and saving the lost. It's about loving God. It's, it's about loving others. It's about being a pencil and being available. A.W. Tozer made this statement. <coughs> He says, I am perfectly happy to have God do things I cannot understand. I am joyfully willing that God should fly the plane for me. 
that he should run the machine for me, that he should portion out my life for me, that he should make my plans for me. I am perfectly willing that he should do all this because he knows how and I do not. He has the power and I do not. Well, let's talk about some applications if you maybe identify more with Zacchaeus in the story. You know, you're in the tree. You're, you're kind of listening. You're checking, checking Jesus out. You, you don't know if you believe this stuff yet, but you're curious. You're thinking about it. You like the idea of knowing God. You just don't know if it's for real. Let me share a couple applications if you're in that boat. Number one, pride will keep you from Jesus, but humility will allow you to see Jesus. Wealthy people don't usually climb up in trees. That was an act of humility. If you want to see Jesus, you can, but you're going to have to let your pride guard down. And if you're willing to let the pride down, you can get to a place where you can see the real Jesus. So are you willing to do that, you know? to quit pretending, to get real, to get honest, to get humble, so that you can listen to the words of Jesus? I hope that you are, because you'll hear the words. Second application, Jesus takes time for people who are seeking him. Out of this whole crowd, Jesus saw and went to be with Zacchaeus. Why? Well, because his heart was ready. If your heart is seeking to know God this morning, I want to let you know that God has time for you. He's got time right now. He wants to meet with you. Jesus takes time for people who are seeking him. He has time for you this morning. The question is, will you come down out of the tree? Will you accept his kind invitation? Maybe you're thinking, I'd, I'd like to do that, but I, I think I've already burned that bridge. Um, I think I'm a little too far gone. I can't change. My past is not good. You don't know what I've done. Uh, I, I think I'm disqualified. Well, if you feel that way this morning, I would say to you that people might see you that way. But Jesus doesn't see you that way. If you feel that way about yourself this morning, I would say to you, Jesus doesn't see you that way. People and sometimes others only see our past and they think that's all that our future could be. But Jesus sees who we can be. Third application point for the curious is faith changes everything. Faith changes everything. You see, there is no bridge too far for Jesus. So if you'll open your life up to the living water, the bread of life, the Savior of the world then you become a new person in Christ and a child of God. And the past is not your future. It's forgiven. It doesn't matter anymore because you're a new creation in Christ and a beloved child of God. Your future is filled with the hope and the joy of walking in the grace and the loving kindness of your Heavenly Father. Would you like that for, to be true for you? Because it can be. The question is, are you willing to get out of your tree and accept Jesus' kind invitation. Jesus is inviting you to come to him by faith this morning exactly the way he did with Zacchaeus 2,000 years ago. Maybe today is the day you begin your faith story. It doesn't start by taking a class or joining this church or even being in this room. 
It starts with a prayer you pray where you, you understand who Jesus is and you invite him into your life. And in just a moment, I'm going to pray that prayer. And I would invite you, if you're the curious and you'd like to become a child of God this morning, to pray that prayer. Remember, Jesus has time for you this morning. If you say that prayer in your heart to God, he will meet you there and change your eternity. Now, if you're a believer here with us this morning, when I pray, what should you be doing? Well, you've already done this. You're in the family. But, you know, someone prayed for you the day that you joined the family. So why don't you be praying that the Holy Spirit just opens up hearts and minds to see and to respond to the gospel this morning. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for coming to this world and dying on the cross to pay the penalty for my sins. Lord, I confess my sin and I repent of my broken ways. I invite you into my life to be my Lord and my Savior. I place my faith in your work on the cross alone, and I I look forward to learning how to walk with you in this new life as a child of God. Thank you for inviting me into your family. Amen. Like I said, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, you just became a child of God. And I'd ask you to do one thing today. Find someone you know who's a Christian. Tell them what you did. and Let them rejoice with you in your new birth. So here, here we are, believers. We live in this world. You turn on the evening news, and it's just downright scary and overwhelming. You desire to make a difference in this messed up world we live in, but you wonder how. You know, how on earth do I make any kind of difference in such a big, broken world? Well, Jesus changed the world one person at a time, and he's the one we're following, right? So, child of God... Get out there and change the world this week. How? One person at a time, along the way, exactly like Jesus did.